This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. For those who own their own homes and would like to earn extra money, home sharing is often an efficient way to do so. But the regulatory attack on home sharing is widespread. Now the feds are considering getting involved as well. Romina Baccia studies federal spending at the Heritage Foundation and regularly rents out her own home. We talked about the new regulatory threats to home sharing last week. What was the regulatory environment like uh, with respect to renting out either rooms or your entire home uh, when you started? That was something I looked into very deeply, in part because I'm of German descent and I like to follow the rules. And what I found is that in my particular area, I'm in a a mixed-use zoning place, so we're allowed to have commercial businesses on our property. So that was good news. And I couldn't find anything that would specifically prohibit or allow um, the kind of short-term rental that we were thinking of doing. What I did find is that any regulation that did exist was pertaining to larger establishments that were more like hotels with nine or more rooms. So we could basically do whatever we wanted without infringing on the rights of our neighbors. You know, the standard nuisance protections apply. And uh, that's how we've been operating. And the other thing I looked into is like what taxes I would owe and how I would be able to pay those. That was a little more complicated. Federal tax was very easy. It's just income. But on the state and county level, like would I be subject to the hotel tax Um, or just the sales and use tax? Sales and use tax was pretty obvious. So I paid that. Uh, But then um, last year, my county, after um, hearing from the hotel lobby uh, a lot frequently and also receiving some financial <laughs> contributions, decided to adopt very strict new regulations where now I have to meet various onerous requirements. Um, many of them are arbitrary and um, I have to pay to get a permit and then hope that that uh, permit comes through. All right. So how does that change the landscape or how does that change your decision about uh, moving forward with this? Well, right now it's increased my costs because I've had to, um, I think I have like 12 fire extinguishers in my house right now because I had to have one in every single room, living space, bedroom, everywhere. Um, So some additional costs, filling out the paperwork, Um, It just adds a lot of uncertainty. You know, when people book their vacations, oftentimes they'll book uh, your home many months in advance. And right now I only have a temporary permit and I actually have some bookings that would kick in after that temporary permit expires. And I just have no idea if I'm going to be able to host these people or not. So that makes it very difficult to run my business and accept uh, bookings for next summer. Uh, Yeah, so. (laughs) The federal government now has decided to uh, obliquely, I guess, get involved in this in a way by sort of potentially strictly regulating what kinds of things are to be said on online with regard to short-term rentals and also who gets held responsible when things go bad. So what is, what is that and, and how do you think that that will alter the landscape here? Yeah, so what's what's been happening is that uh, the hotel industry has uh, lobbied primarily state and local governments, county governments and the like, to adopt uh, bans or strict uh, rental regulations um, to, to monitor and reduce 
on the use of short-term rental. And the hotel industry hasn't been shy about um, putting out in their own documentation that what they're doing um, is for the purpose of reducing short-term rentals, reducing their competition, because what was found is that especially during high demand times, um, hotels are able to jack up their rates because um, there's inflexible lodging options and very high demand. And that's exactly when short-term rentals tend to kick in, where people start looking for alternative options. There are some places uh, in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, where one weekend a year, and I'll let you imagine what that weekend is, where people are able to command $1,000 for a night mm-hmm. for a home. It's the first Saturday in May. It's the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. And so there's, a you know, there's 100,000 extra people in Louisville, and some folks only rent their homes mm-hmm. for that weekend. And uh, I, it's not an insignificant amount of money, and it's a minor inconvenience for a lot of people not to be there. But I wonder how a regulation like that would alter people's decisions to participate. I mean, right now, um, if I rent in the D.C. area and the biggest weekend we have tends to be inauguration weekend. Uh, and a lot of people were renting their space just for that weekend, same as uh, you describe in Louisville. But uh, with the with the new rules and regulations, those people wouldn't be allowed to do so. It would be illegal for them to actually rent out their space without having a permit. But it doesn't make sense to go through that whole permitting process if you're only intending to rent out for that weekend. So I think those options are going to disappear. So what's ha- been happening is that one of the ways that uh, the hotel industry has been lobbying state and local governments to reduce short-term rentals is by um, demanding, requiring that the platforms that host these short-term rentals, so primarily Airbnb, VRBO, and HomeAway, um, have to um, monitor the listings and make sure that they have permits and that they comply with all local zoning ordinances and restrictions, which is just completely impossible to ask of uh, these platforms. Uh, so in, in order to impose those uh, requirements on these platforms, um, they are re- trying to remove uh, the legal liability protections that uh, have been granted to them by federal law uh, through Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So and and the only reason this is a problem is because someone is paying someone else. Right? That's that, the it, argument. A, yeah. whole, a whole lot of this is is would be sort of unconscionable federal overreach if not for the fact that somebody is paying someone else for uh, services. That's right. That's the argument that was uh used uh when the Ninth Circuit Court ruled that Santa Monica um was within its rights to um, impose legal liability uh, contrary to the protections provided by Section 230 because money exchanged hands. And they argued that it wasn't uh, regulating speech, um, speech that says, for example, I have housing available for rent, but that it was regulating a um, economic transaction, the uh, facilitating of the booking. That's the argument that they made, but I think they're grasping at straws here. And uh, it is very much uh, regulating speech, and Section 230 applies to that. And that is why there's now a law before Congress to uh, strip all rental platforms, not just short-term rental platforms, but all online uh, rental 
platforms of uh, Section 230 liability protections uh, if they um, receive a complaint from a state or local government or any private party um, that a listing on their website um, is illegal or doesn't meet all possible zoning requirements or even uh, private HOA restrictions. And that is too really too much to ask of a platform to be able to police um, laws that can spring out of, you know, thousands of jurisdictions and private entities. And, and the bottom line, I suppose, is that uh, the final analysis, all we're going to get for this is a dramatically reduced volume of these kinds of transactions. Right. And for consumers, what it means is that they can expect to pay higher prices um, and have fewer options for them to find the accommodations that meet their and their family's needs. And they may need to stay in a hotel and pay much higher prices than they they could before when they had the option of renting someone's home. Yeah, and even for people who would use hotels exclusively and would never even consider using HomeAway or VRBO or uh, Airbnb as a short-term rental platform, those people will be affected as well. Right. They, too, will pay those higher prices that the hotels will be able to impose. But also uh, will have a chilling effect, I believe, on the entire online um, industry. Because if you think about other providers that are facilitating peer-to-peer transactions, like, for example, TaskRabbit, that allows you to find a handyman to help you with something around the house, um, if you extend what we're seeing happening with these rental platforms to some of these other industries, it could mean that uh, TaskRabbit now has to verify that uh, that handyman has all required certifications and licenses and is registered with the state and whatever else requirements uh, the state or local government may impose that uh, will, will be too onerous for the rent uh, for that uh, platform to be able to monitor and then face liability for that could cause them to go bankrupt potentially. And it will be particularly uh, devastating in terms of growth in that market for more online platforms to spring up, some that we can't even envision today because um, smaller uh, companies trying to just get their footing won't be able to uh, face the possible liability that um they could be they, they, they could be stuck with because of these uh, these bad laws. Ramita Bachi is a fiscal and economic policy scholar at the Heritage Foundation. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>